0: Heavenly Father, I ask that you would be with us this morning, that you would open your word to us, that you would reveal your character and your nature to us, that we would understand you better. I pray that your blessing would be on your word and on your people and on your servant as I bring this word to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In Exodus chapter 15, Moses said, Who is like you, O Lord among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? I thought, that's a good question. Who is like our God? No one is like our God. That is the obvious implication from the question. No one is like our God. Our God is majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, and doing wonders. We, as a leadership, think that we need to spend a little bit of time talking about some of the basics of the faith. Talking about maybe like the, what you could call the ground level of Christianity or the, the diving board that is the pool of Christianity. We want to not assume that everybody knows everything we're talking about all the time. We want to bring it to a point where people are receiving teaching that is at their level. And so sometimes we're going to teach things that are a little bit more obscure for those who have been in the church for a really long time. And then other times we're going to bring it back down to, to earth. And we're going to talk about some of the things that are maybe not uh, not as advanced, I guess you could say. Or um, the way that the Bible would call it is we're going to give you some milk instead of steak. I'm going to give you a little bit of milk. And so, you know, it's funny because you could talk about it like that. You could talk about it as like ground level or or as advanced or as milk or as, as meat. However, even when you try to bring it down, it's so deep that it becomes advanced (laughs) no matter what you do. Um, the gospel and and the scriptures are so simple that a child can understand them and so complex that theologians have spent 2000 years trying to figure it out and haven't. And that's beautiful. That's amazing. It's a, it's a glorious thing. And so, this morning I want to talk to you about God. Our God. Who is our God? What is our God like? Who is like our God? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, and doing wonders. And I think that this is super important for those who are new believers, but I think it's also important for those who have been in the church for a really long time because There's a lot of different opinions out there about what God is like and who God is. You can find a thousand different teachers that will give you a thousand different opinions on what God is like. We're not interested in opinions. We're interested in God's word. What God says about God. There's one opinion that we are interested in, I guess. God's. What does God say that God is like? What does God say that he is? God is love. That's That's one of them. Yeah. That's one of them. Uh, and I, I was reading this book. There's a book here that I have. It's called The Attributes of God by Arthur Pink. And uh, he I, there I just was so struck by this, this paragraph in this book. He says, the God, and he puts that in scare quotes, the God of this 20th century, no more resembles the supreme sovereign of holy writ than does the dim flickering of a candle to the glory of the midday sun. The... God, who is now talked about in the average pulpit, spoken of in the ordinary Sunday school, mentioned in much of religious literature of this, of this day, and preached in most of the so-called Bible conferences, is the figment of human imagination, an invention of maudlin sentimentality. The heathen outside of the pale of Christendom form gods out of wood and stone, while millions of heathen inside Christendom manufacture a god out of their own carnal mind. In reality, they are but atheists. For there is no other possible alternative between an absolutely supreme God and no God at all. A God whose will is resisted, whose designs are frustrated, whose purpose is checkmated, possesses no title to deity, and so far from being a fit object of worship, merits naught but contempt. Woof. (laughs) But I think, you know, he's, he's pretty intense about that, but I think he's got a good point is that when we look to man to explain God to us, it never works out. We need God to explain God to us. God is the only one who can give us an accurate understanding of himself because God is the only one who knows himself truly. You know, God can give us a very accurate understanding of us because he knows us truly, inside and outside. He knows our secret thoughts. He knows the intentions of our hearts. He knows where we've been, what we've done. He knows where we're going. He knows where our children are going. He knows where our great-great-grandchildren are going. He knows it all from first to last. But no one can say that about God. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? The answer, of course, is no one. And so how can we look to man to give us an understanding of who God is? We can't. We have to look at the word. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I have a whole bunch of passages of scripture. I'm not expecting you to try and keep up with me. However, I am going to ask people to look things up for me and to read them. So be ready. He said in a sinister voice. Um, I will start with the first one because the first point is uh, I think where we have to begin is that um, in order to know God, we first have to know that there is a God. We have to understand that there is a God and that we can know that there is a God. That is not something that we have to be uncertain about. Um, I remember being a teenager and having these thoughts all the time, are my parents totally full of it about this whole god thing? <laughs> right? Maybe maybe everything that I've been taught is total hogwash and there really isn't a god. I thought this all the time when I was a teenager. And I Never really had certainty until later when I became an adult and actually started to listen to the things that were being said on a Sunday morning and listening to sermons. And one of the places in the Bible that talks about this is Romans 1. In Romans 1, 19, it says, What can be known about God is plain, because God has shown it. God has shown it. Now he's in this context, he's talking about unrighteous people, ungodly people. He says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, And his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly perceived in the things that have been made. They are clearly perceived in the things that have been made. That means it's easy to tell that there is a God. Humanity has been worshipping gods, plural, for a very long time, because everybody knows that the world came from somewhere. It's only very recently that some people who in their rebellion want God to not be real have created this concept called atheism. It's a very recent invention. Most of human history, most people have believed that there is a God And I would submit to you that atheists also believe that there is a God. But in their rebellion, they choose to argue that there is no God. They believe it. They know it's true. Everybody knows that there is a God. Because God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So we know that there is a God. And we know that this God is the God of the Bible because no other God makes the claims that our God makes and no other God can support the claims that God, our God makes. Who is like our God, majestic in holiness and doing wonders? No God is like our God. No God possesses the same level of deity and, uh, and supremacy and power that our God holds. None of them. Because even, you know, there's, there's the old gods like Zeus and Ra and these other gods. And those gods do not have the same level of authority and power that our god does. You know, they were the god of the sun. Yeah, well, our god is the god of the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth and everything under the earth. And everything that you can see and everything that you can't see. And did I miss anything? It's the universe. The universe. Zeus is not the god of the universe. Zeus is the god of Mount Olympus, and he throws lightning bolts. <laughs> He's also not real. <laughs> even, but even if you were to move forward and say, well, what about the Muslims? The Muslims have a god who they would claim is the god of... Of the things that you can see and the things that you can't see and the things that are above. But you know what God doesn't have? Love. That's a huge thing. That is a huge part of the universe that their God doesn't have. Our God is love. Like Mark said, our God is love. Our God is able to be in relationship with himself because our God is three in one. He has three persons in one divine essence, and so he is able to love himself and have relationship with himself. And so he is not dependent on anything because he has himself, whereas the God of the Muslims is one. And so he's this, (laughs) I'm trying to help to formulate this in words that I'm, that I can communicate really effectively. Because, um, you want to talk philosophy for a minute? <laughs> Go See, uh, Hegel had a philosophy that nothing could be real if it wasn't perceived. If something is not perceived, how can it be real? How can you know that this thing is real? It's not perceived by anything. Which I think is a really brilliant uh, way of proving the existence of, of our God in particular because our God is able to perceive himself because he is three in one. Whereas the God of the Muslims is just one. And so before everything is created, nothing is perceiving him. He is just there empty in nothing and doesn't, and isn't real. I don't know if Hegel was totally full of it, but that's how I formulate it in my head. (laughs) Um, And here I am trying to, use man's words to try and explain God. Um, we know that God exists because his, uh, he has been clearly perceived, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And we know that God is real. So we know that God is real because of nature, and because of the existence of the world, but we also know that God exists because God has told us that he exists. So more than just showing us that he exists, he has told us that he exists. Uh, Genesis 3, verse 8. Adam, can you read Genesis 3, 8 for me? Genesis 3, 8. Husband heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now it might seem that that's a weird verse to to bring up, but more than just showing us in nature, God comes to us and has relationship with us. And I chose that verse because that's the first time that we see in the Bible, God having a a connection with with humanity, where he's walking in the garden with them. He is having relationship with them. And then after that, he talks to them. He speaks to them. He doesn't just show himself. He actually speaks to them. God walks with man in the garden, and then the more that you read the Bible on from that point, you see God talking to people all the time. And he is, and so he is revealing himself, and he reveals himself and talks to humanity and shows humanity all the way through until we see in, in Jesus that is ultimate, that he reveals himself in kind of like a, an ultimate way. And so in Colossians Uh, chapter one, Galatians, Ephesians, Uh, it says in verse 15 of Colossians one, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the absolute apex uh, revealing of God. So we know that God exists because it is clearly perceived in the natural world. And we also know that he exists because he has revealed himself and he has told us that he exists and he has told us what he is like. And so that is kind of a a starting point for this morning uh, that we know that God exists because he's shown us and he's told us. And so I want to talk a little bit about what God is like. What do we know about our God? Beyond just that he is. What do we know about him? So turn to the first page in your Bible. Uh, well, not, maybe not the first page. Because you don't want to skip the copyright stuff. and uh, Something like that. There's, when it says Genesis at the top of the page. That's what you're looking for. Alright, it says... In Genesis 1-1. Is everybody there? First page of your Bible? Ezraeus, do you know what this verse says? The first verse in the Bible? Very good. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. There was a beginning. God was already there. So we know that God is first. God is the first being. God is the first, well, uh, oh, I was going to say creature. He is not a creature. God is the first, I was going to say thing. He's not a thing. He's the, He's the first person. He's the first. I know. He's the first. How can you say anything other than God was first? He is first. He was and is and will always be first. In the beginning, God. God is the beginning of everything. The beginning of matter and existence was initiated by God. Meaning that God was before there was matter. Before there was existence, for anything else, God was. God is. We also know something about the character of God. So we know that God is is before all things and that his existence does not depend on anything. We know also in the beginning, God created God created. We have a God who is a creator. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth, the things that are high and the things that are low, the things that are above and the things that are below the things that are seen and the things that are unseen. Our God made them. Since he precedes creation and is the initiator of it, he is not in need of his creation. This is an important thing about God, is that God does not need creation in order to exist. We need creation in order to exist. We have to have a ground to walk on. We have to have air to breathe. We have to have food to eat, water to drink. God needs none of those things because he is the creator of all of those things. In some sense, uh, you can look at it as a parent and a child. A child needs a parent in order to exist. A parent does not need a child in order to exist. God does not need his children or his creation in order to exist. He simply exists. Everything that proceeds from him is dependent on him in the same way, similarly, I guess, that a child is dependent on a parent. But a parent is not dependent on a child until later in life. (laughs) But at the beginning, the child is totally dependent on the parent. Creation is totally dependent on God. God is not at all in any way dependent on creation. God exists. If if all of creation were to wink out of existence, God would continue on. God does not need us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is a creative God. So, this, this also shows us what God is like in his personality. So, we know what he's like in his existence, we know that he exists. We know that he existed before. We know that he doesn't depend on us for existence. But we also know a little bit about his character. He's not a a God who delights in just sort of being around and that's it. He is a God who delights in creating. He, He doesn't have to create. He creates because he wants to. He doesn't create because he has to. He creates because he wants to. And this teaches us a little bit about our God's personality. Our God loves to create things. He creates things why? Because he likes to create things. He created the heavens and he created the earth. God does not lack these things, he enjoys having them. God wanted heavens and the earth to exist, he wanted humanity to exist. He likes having us around. That's something that we know about God. Because if he didn't like having us around, we would not be around. I hope that makes sense. Maybe it does. Uh, He loves his children. That's right. And he he loves even the things that are not his children. Right? God loves the birds. Jesus said that God feeds the sparrows. Jesus said that God clothes the lilies. These are things that God loves. They're not his children. They're not people. But God loves them. God delights in them. God creates them just because he wants them. Why Why do flowers have different colors? God loves color. Because God likes things that are beautiful. That's another thing that we can learn about God. You know, I'm getting a little bit off script here, but think about it for a second there. What evolutionary reason would would flowers need color for? They emit a smell, and that's how they attract uh, insects to them in order to pollinate. They don't need color. The reason they have color is because God loves beauty, and God wants us to enjoy the things that he's made. God is a god who creates and he doesn't just create utilitarian things right he doesn't create robots he creates complex beautiful natural phenomena sorry i got a little off track there gotta find myself again uh first timothy uh who's got a bible am I going to pick on? You got a Bible? Yeah. 1 Timothy uh, 6, 16. No, wait. Yeah. I'd love to have somebody read this for me. Uh, let me just make sure I've got the right verse here. Um, yeah. Let's go with uh, 1 Timothy 6 verses 13 to 16. So those three verses, 13 to 16. No, wait. Yeah, yeah. Thirteen to sixteen. That's good. You want me to read it? First, what's that? You want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. That'd be great. Okay. Um, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you will keep this commandment without spot, blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which He will manifest in His own time he who is the blessed and the only pot- potentate, potentate, yep, yeah. the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has an immortality, dwelling in the unreproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Amen. So we know that God is a creator. We know that God was first. And we know that God is above all things. And I wanted to read this passage because this passage really gives us a comprehensive, uh, undeniable statement that God is above all things. That he is the, the potentate. That's a great word. My, word. my Bible says the sovereign. He's the sovereign. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He alone has immortality. He dwells in unapproachable light no eye has ever seen him to him be honor and eternal dominion so not only is our god above his creation he is has dominion over his creation He rules his creation. He is the king of creation. He is the lord of creation. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He is immortal. He is over his creation from beginning to end. From first to last. Forever. No one can unseat him from his throne. He is the uh, absolute benevolent dictator for eternity. No one can depose him. No one can usurp him, truly. People try to usurp him, but he cannot be usurped. He is the Lord. And no matter what comes, God is the Lord. In Genesis, we see in chapter 11, humanity builds a tower that they figure is going to reach up to the heavens. And you know what the Bible says? The Lord stooped down to look at it. It's a tower that reaches to the heavens and God has to stoop to look at it. Because God is the eternal king. The He has absolute dominion. Everything is beneath him. He is the only sovereign. He is the potentate. There's a song. I can't remember what it is now. Uh, crown him with many crowns. And one of the lines is, hey, uh, crown him the Lord, of t- uh, the Lord of kings, the potentate of time. It's one of my favorite lines in the song ever. And it's never in any of the hymnals that we sing it. It's very unfortunate. Um, but he is over all things. He is, and, and I want you to notice one more phrase from this passage in verse 16. It says that he dwells in unapproachable light. He dwells in unapproachable light. And I've kind of talked about this a little bit. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Uh, in, in, this is, uh, I'm, I'm quoting something from Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapter 11, it says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Who can go to God and say, Why have you done it this way? Who can approach the throne of God? Who can, tell me if you can find the throne of God and where it is. To walk up to God and call him to account for his actions. You can't. It is unapproachable. He dwells in unapproachable light. You cannot go walk into his throne room and call him to account. He can bring you into his throne room and allow you to experience his glory. But when you're there... You are not going to be calling him to account because you are going to see the king on his throne high and exalted and the train of his robe filling the temple and angels surrounding the throne day and night singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory and when you're in that place you're going to fall on your knees like Isaiah did and say woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. That is what you will experience. You cannot approach the king and call him to account. He is above all things. He is over all things. He fills all things. God, in other words, is absolutely supreme. There's just a couple more passages that I want to give you. Um, Forrest, can you look up Second Chronicles 29? I just read Romans 11:36, which I was gonna have somebody read. Um, I would also like—I uh, don't know—is there a volunteer who wants to look up something? Vicky, would you mind looking up something for me? Uh, could you look up Psalm 31 for me? In Psalm chapter 2 it says, "Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against Yahweh and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us." You know what he who sits in heavens does? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. As for me, I have set my king on my Zion, on my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations, the nations which belong to God, I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces as if they were a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled and blessed are all who take refuge in him. Why do the nations rage? The one who sits in the heavens laughs. Let us, the the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers, they take counsel together. Atheists say, let us burst their pawns apart and cast away their cords from us. And the one who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He is supreme. He is the ruler. No one can approach him. No one can say, it's time to be free of God. No one can truly say, God is dead. The one who sits in the heavens laughs when men say such foolish things. And that's the correct response when people say foolish things, is to laugh at them. And that's what our God does when the kings of the earth, the most powerful men in the world, take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Forrest, can you read 2 Chronicles 29, 10 to 12? Mm -hmm. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with Yahweh, God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons... Do not now be negligent, for Yahweh has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to be his ministers, and to make offerings to him. Do you want me to go further than that? Oh no, I gave you. Second Chronicles, not first Chronicles. That's my fault. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, Forrest. I gave you the wrong one. Yeah, I was looking for 1 Chronicles. That's totally my I wrote it down wrong too. Uh, Therefore David blessed Yahweh in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Yahweh, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Yahweh, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Sums it up pretty well, doesn't it? The second one actually does go with it though. It kinda of does, yeah. And I didn't that's yeah. Calls some people Come, right stand with me. Right. Yeah. But the uh, the point that I wanted to make with that is that he rules. His is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory, the majesty. All that is in the heavens and the earth is his. His is the kingdom. He is exalted as head above all. Riches and honor, they come from God. And God rules over all things. In his hand are power and might. In his hand, it is to make great and to give strength. These are the things that can be said about God. Ask man, what is God like? No, ask, ask the word, what is God like? God is supreme. God is the sovereign. Um, Vicki, can you just read uh, Psalm 31, verses 14 to 19? This is where I want to end, by the way. Psalm 31. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My time are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me be not put to shame, O Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and lie silent in the grave. Let their lying lips be silent, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you haven't talked too much about God's relationship with mankind. And the reason for that is because I think sometimes we pass over God's exaltedness and otherness in favor of more comforting realities of God's closeness. Oftentimes we only really want to hear about how close God is to us and how much he loves us and how great he thinks we are. And we forget that God is exalted, that God is high and lifted up. And we need to remember these truths because these truths are the fundamental basis for our trust in God. Mm -hmm. This has to be true. Everything that I've said up to now has to be true if you're going to rely on God. If God is not sovereign and supreme, if God can be dethroned, if his will can be resisted, if he can fail, if he can be overcome, then you have no reason to trust him. You wouldn't trust me with everything in your life. You wouldn't trust me with your children and your finances and your livelihoods and your health. You wouldn't trust me with those things because I don't have control over those things. I can't decide whether you're healthy or sick. God can. We have have to have these truths, the supreme, exalted nature, the dominion of God, his absolute authority and rulership. We have to know these things about him. If he isn't these things, then what do we really have to trust and rely on? A God who loves us That's nice, you know, my wife loves me. If my God loves me too, that's good too, I like that. But God has to be much more than my wife. God has to be much more than your family. God has to be much more than your spouse, than your children. God has to be much more than everything else so that you can really lean on him and say, even if I don't have anything else, at least I have God and if I have God, I want for nothing because he is exalted, supreme, sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I can rest in his chambers, trusting in him in everything I have. Verse 14 of Psalm 31, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. My times are in your hand. Everything from my birth to my death is in your hand. so I just leave you with this love the Lord all you his saints the Lord preserves the faithful but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride be strong let your heart take courage all you who wait for the Lord let's pray thank you father for revealing these truths to us by giving us your word, by speaking to us, by giving us creation to show us that you exist, by giving us your word to tell us that you exist. Lord, I pray that we would not truly rely on man and his opinion or any of the things that, uh, (laughs) any of the descriptions that fall outside of the scriptures. Lord, it might be helpful sometimes to think about philosophy and things like that but only the word is truly able to give us a 100% accurate understanding of who you are so we thank you for giving us the word the grace of having the bible we thank you for revealing yourself to us thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to us little children I pray, Father, for the new believers who are here, that they would be blessed, and that they would trust you more deeply. I pray for those who have been in the church for a long time and don't think about you the way you ought to be understood, and that they would change their minds. I pray for those believers here who know these truths, that they would be greatly encouraged and strengthened by them. I ask for your hand of blessing on us as we go from here, that we would commit ourselves to you daily. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.